Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, thanks for your company once again on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Terrific to be back with you this week. And uh, joining me, Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au. Hi, Christy, Nick. welcome to you. And, uh, and a guest appearance, a special guest appearance, Andrew Swain. Welcome to you back from uh, Argentina, having eaten three cows and, and drunk a vat full of Malbec and, and a couple of weeks in Japan before that, probably had some whale meat in there. Did you did you eat some whale while you were in Japan? Uh, no, not quite, but a lot of sashimi. I have come back good, a good 20 kegs, the heavier. <laughs> but if you, can't, if you can't come back from Argentina, having added a bit of freight, you haven't had a good time. I'm telling you, I think I might actually go back there and open a thing and, and introduce them to a thing called salad. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> never, they don't know what no, it is. No. And I reckon it'll go all right over there. Yep. You know, it, 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 well, it Doesn't could, sound right, it could corner a market at least. Now, what, seriously, what a weekend of sport. Just ridiculous. And if, you, if you're not a little bit sleep deprived, here we are on a, a Monday afternoon, if you're not a little bit sleep deprived, you haven't lived. Oh, incredible. Firstly, the Wallaroos taking on Japan. Oh, that was, that uh, was the Newcastle. highlight. So it was one of the highlights. Kicked it off. Yeah, but then uh, obviously the Wimbledon final, um, F1 at Silverstone. You want to be in Britain, don't you, this weekend, just gone? And it's the best time, of the best city in the world at this time of year. Oh, and the Cricket World Cup. Oh, that thing. Yeah. Okay. That was pretty good. Here's one for you. How do you think Brad Shields would have reacted amongst his English teammates on the weekend? Because I don't know. <laughs> Swanee, have you seen the, the footage? There's video. There's video of the English rugby team doing their nana after that run out at the end and celebrating. But I reckon Brad Shields is probably sitting back there going, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, go England. Go England. The former go Hurricanes captain, of course, who, who went over there about, what, 15 months ago. So here's the conundrum, right? I mean, if you're listening to this, you love your rugby, you've suffered, if you're an Australian, you've suffered at the hands of uh, all-black domination for a number of years now. How are you feeling about what happened to New Zealand cricketers? It, can you find it within your soul to feel... Sorry for a New Zealand national team. No. Nah. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> you know what? Do you know what? I actually do. I, I really do. Maybe for Kane Williamson only because he seems like one of the best blokes going around. Yep. But nah, not no? at all. No. Oh, look, if that match had just ended in a tie and they both held the trophy up at the end, I would have been the happiest man in the world. I yeah. don't like a winner no. from those two teams. Leave a national. Oh, really? And, and you know what? It, like, so you weren't barracking for anyone during that game? I just was barracking for great sport. No, you weren't. <laughs> and we, no, you we, you we weren't. witnessed that. <laughs> Who were you backing during the game? Oh, it, it, Come on. it varied. It actually varied. Yeah. It, there was a point where I was um, I was going for England. I was like, you know, well, <laughs> I feel sick actually saying that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was not a, starting a Again, either. No. Uh, 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 there, there was a point where I thought, uh, if England wins this, uh, good on them. Yeah. And then, um, and then New Zealand turned the screws, and um, you know, Butler got out to a crappy shot. And yeah. I thought, oh, here we go. Um, you know. And then I was like, oh, if New Zealand win this, they deserve it. Yeah. And, and then, <laughs> then what unfolded was unbelievable. The, the, and then the, I thought, it, what it, about the, the overthrows off Stokes? Oh, yeah. yeah that. I mean, that's. Well, that's you, you must have felt sorry for New Zealand in that moment. Come on. No, you know what? And I was I was lying in bed. I was I was lying in bed at three thirty or whatever it was okay. when that happened. Don't go to watching much. my phone on KO yeah. and um and that happened and I actually went ah, like this and nearly woke up the whole house. <laughs> <laughs> went ah. 
Oh, my God. I've never seen anything like that. And it was just r- ridiculous. Now, the, here's, here's a thought for you guys. What would you rather? Would you rather England win two World Cups this year or New Zealand win two World Cups this year? Ooh. Well, it, it doesn't matter now. It's irrelevant because clearly England's won well, the first yeah, that's, one. That's but right. going into that previously, no, I didn't want New Zealand winning both. Exactly, right. exactly. That's, okay, and that's so, my point. So if those two countries play off in the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup final, yeah. who are you backing? I'll probably just go and watch the lawn bowl. <laughs> what else is on? All right. <laughs> nah, I'll watch it. I uh, kind of feel like it'd be a good story for Eddie Jones. Yeah, righto. Anyway, what's coming up today, Nick? Uh, I'm glad you asked, Christy. Thank you very much. Let me check. Uh, yes, we've got Millie Boyle who uh, played. She was a star for the Wallaroos uh, against Japan the other night. Um, Australia winning 34-5 to kickstart uh, their test season. And then from Wallaby captain Stephen Moore, he's uh, going to hop on the phone as well from uh, behind his desk in Brisbane. So we're going to uh, chat with him about what's to come for the Wallabies. And when I say we're going to, why don't we? Right now, Stephen Moore. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Stephen, thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. It's always good to catch up with uh, our former Wallabies and, and find out what's keeping them busy. What are you up to at the moment? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to, good to be on and actually working for a cattle company at the moment. So, uh, working the agriculture industry, and it's it's been a very steep learning curve the last 12 months since I retired, but I've really enjoyed it. It's a really good place to work, good industry, and, um, you know, particularly in Queensland here, it's certainly a big and important industry in, in our state. So, yeah, it's, it's been good. I've been keeping me busy. Just looking across the table, Andrew Swain would have liked some of that uh, that, that cattle, I reckon. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Steve... Well, he probably ate a few steaks in Argentina, did he? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you... Washed ha- down with a nice red. A <laughs> mailbag, of course. Um, how did you end up in, in the... Like, what, what took your fancy in that in that industry? Yeah, it was more by, by chance, I guess. I'd been talking to you know, a few people in and around the Reds when I was looking at retirement. Uh, one of those people was... Damien Frawley, who's the CEO of QIC, and they're the major shareholder of the company I work for now, which is called the North Australian Pastoral Company. So uh, that's it. that's how I sort of uh, ended up in the role, and uh, that was about 18 months ago now. So, um, you know, it's certainly been a, a good journey and a, a lot of learning and very different, I guess, to what I've been doing previously for so long. And I, I think that's mm. a big adjustment mentally and physically, just, um, you know, how different it is. Well, Squeak, uh, I'll, I'll move it on. We'll, we'll get to some rugby now. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk Biltong all day. We could probably talk Biltong if you want, just given you've come back from South Africa. But um, uh, the Aussies, the Wallabies are over in South Africa at the moment. Mate, what have you made of the uh, the initial squad? Yeah, look, I think it's a good squad. It's picked on form and, and that's the way it should be, I think, in a World Cup year. I think it's good that the selectors haven't been afraid to pick some players who probably haven't played as much as, as others. And I think that's certainly a, a positive sign. And, you know, in a World Cup year, there can be a tendency to, to sort of be a bit cautious. But it's good to see some new faces in there. And I think it's going to be an interesting rugby championship, obviously, starting this weekend. You can't wait to see the makeup of the back row with uh, Rob Valentini and Izzy Nicerani and Liam Wright there. But uh, obviously, uh, you keep a close eye on uh, the next generation of hookers going around. What's your gut feel about the, the two who might get the nod for this first test? 
Yeah, look, I think they're both certainly capable. I think obviously Test Rugby in particular over in, in that kind of cauldron is a big step up and and every young hooker has to go through that. And I remember clearly, I think it was my second Test, we played the Springboks at Ellis Park in 2005 and you know, I, I remember how nervous I was and, and how much of a big occasion it was. And now as you get further on in your career, those things don't become, you know, you're not as daunted, they're not as big, but every player has to go through that early in their career and, and that's what these young hookers will be going through now. And I think they've certainly shown some good form, particularly Falao Fahinga in Super Rugby. I think he's been part of a, a dominant Brumbies forward pack and, and dominant front row. And he can go into the rugby championship with good confidence about his ability, you know. And I think, um, you know, every player goes through that that phase of, of starting off and getting their, their feet under the desk, I suppose. But you know, he showed certainly a lot of ability. And, and you know, you'd think he'd... If he continues the way he's going, he'll be there for a long time. Would he have any scars, Squeak, after the semi-final um, uh, against the uh, Jaguars? It was a it was a tough outing for him. Now, whether that be all at his feet, the the blame there, or whether it might be you know the calls or or whatever the lifters, you know, would he suffer a little bit from that, or do you just move past that, move on? Yeah, well, look, it's always the hooker's fault, isn't it? It's never, <laughs> it's never the throw, the uh, lifting, or the jumping. So, as a second row, um, as a former second row, mate, <laughs> I, I can I attest to that definitely. It's always the hooker's fault. I'm sure he would be saying that it was a bad lifting and jumping, but look, no, I think every I went through that many times in my career where you have a bad day and things just don't quite go right, and I think in those situations you come back to you know what your routine is or what your habits are with your throwing and, and just sticking to that routine irrespective of the the circumstance and you can guarantee come Saturday at Ellis Park you'll be probably thinking the same things and and you know you've got to probably learn to put those things out of your mind and just focus on your technique and and um, you know the, the practice you do during the week would obviously give you confidence and I think as a hooker that always gave me confidence is, is how well did you train during the week? You know, how good were your line-out sessions? What was the quality like? How accurate were you? You know, did you practice enough? All those sort of things are what probably, you know, adds your tools to your to your arsenal when you go into a big test match like that. So I think it'll be fine. That's all part of the, the process of, of learning and growing. And that was disappointing, you know, as someone who played for the Brumbies to, to see them bow out like that. I thought they were in really good form before that game. But... Um, you know, the Haguares certainly played well and they deserved to win. Uh, Steve, a lot's been made up of the uh, of the hookers that are over there and there's, you know, they're very inexperienced. You've got Tolu who's played a dozen or so games and then for, um, you know, half that and, and Jordan Ulisi only a couple. The other guy there that's not there but has played a lot is Tatafu Pallotta now. H- how much do you think he would add to the experience of the group and, and how important would that be for, for that those three young hookers? Yeah, it is important, and I think you can't underestimate the importance of that sort of thing in a World Cup year. And Taft's obviously been there a couple of times now before, so he'll be able to certainly bring a lot of experience and composure. I haven't seen a lot of him play uh, for Leicester this year. I haven't seen in many of the games, so I can't really comment on that side of it. But um, between the group there, I think they've certainly got enough firepower in that position to to um, you know, have a really good, strong front row. And, and you look at the props around them too, there's a good mix of youth and experience as well. And, and I think the other thing that's important is I think this weekend, I might be wrong, but I don't think Malcolm Marks is playing. Is He might be going straight to New Zealand. So Yeah, there's uh, 10 um, or so, isn't there? 10 or so of the, yeah. the, front, the front line players for the box are going to go straight to New Zealand and miss the weekend. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, he's probably on his day the best hooker in the world. So, you know, you, you're sort of avoiding that contest. And, mm. um, you know, that's that's obviously a positive for the Wallabies, not having someone like him on the field. Squeak, they've spent a couple of weeks now uh, at altitude acclimatising and all that. I guess there's a couple of schools of thought around that, whether it's better to fly in late and play, you know, uh, without acclimatising or get acclimatised. Mate, what do you think, um, you know, what personally do you think is the best approach to doing that? Look, if I'm honest, I don't think they went over there for the altitude. I think it was more to get the team together and spend some time together, particularly in this World Cup year. They wouldn't have had a lot of time together and I think it's a good opportunity to maybe spend a few extra days as a group and as a team. So without knowing exactly why they went early, I think it would probably be more around the you know, the bonding and the time spent as a group as opposed to trying to manage the altitude part. I think that's been talked about forever and a day and I really don't think it has a massive impact on, on how you feel or how the game pans out. Uh, I think that's, you know, different teams go over late, early, a mix of everything, and I don't think anyone's got the perfect answer to that. Totally. You think back to 2015 when and when you were involved with the team as well, and, um, you know, there was a bit of a backs-to-the-wall attitude that um, Czech was sort of taking into that year. Um, do you think that that same attitude would apply this year, given all the controversy around rugby that we've we've seen this year as well? Yeah, I think Czech certainly thrives on that mindset. You know, the fact that probably not a lot of people think the team can do well at the World Cup and or in the rugby championship, and and it's about proving those people wrong, isn't it? I guess. And uh, the one good thing is that the only people that can control that are the people in the team and inside that room. You know, so that's a very powerful position to be in as a player. You know that you've got the ability to to change the way people think about the team, and that's. That's something that I always took very seriously and, and I think that's an important role that, that every player needs to acknowledge is that when you take that field, you can you can change people's perceptions of what they think of the Wallabies or good or bad and and that's something to be to be really taken seriously. So, look, I think um, they're in a, in a good position. I think this game on the weekend will be the start of their journey. It won't be perfect by any stretch, but... They'll be talking about how they want to make people proud and, and want people to be talking really positively about the team and about the Wallabies in a World Cup year. And and you're right, it was probably not that much different to, to how we went into 2015. Uh, probably 2014 didn't end on a great note for the team and, and going into that year it was a lot of negativity and, and how we you know, probably wouldn't go far in, in the World Cup and all that sort of thing. So there is, is a lot of similarities. And, um, you know, I, I hope they can get out there and make us all proud on Saturday. Um, just talking a little bit more about 2015, and I remember, um, you know, a, a lot of the the public talk that that you guys had. Part of your messaging was about, you know, you'd sat down, and you talked about the identity of the team, you know, who who you wanted to be as Wallabies, how you wanted to play the game, that that almost branding for that team. That was the public face of it. Can you take us behind the scenes a little bit in 2015 and and tell us about the th- sort of things that were going on at that time to try and elevate the Wallabies out of the back of that Super Rugby season and, and into the Rugby Championship and then the World Cup? Were there some key moments that you can tell us about that maybe had an impact on that World Cup? Yeah, I think it started in Super Rugby. I think we... The team got together numerous times during Super Rugby, and and from memory there was a there was a fierce rivalry. I was at the Brumbies at the time that between particularly the Brumbies and the Waratahs, like it was a really 
really strong rivalry and that was really healthy for the game and everyone went out and wanted to win in Super Rugby but then when we came together for, for a meeting or whatever it might be, we we're all in the same tent and we we're all respectful of each other and, and I think you know, the team's tried to tried to build that again this year and I suppose the other part was that identity piece and the power that that gave the team and we, we took a lot of time to get to know each other, uh, get it get to know how each other were motivated, what was important to us, what our cultural backgrounds were, and that gave everyone a really clear understanding of what their teammates were about, and how they were motivated and and how they'd respond under pressure. And that was immensely powerful. And I think when when we looked at the identity, we wanted that to be what people saw when they watched us play without without them having to see it in writing. If they could see those kind of characteristics come through when they watched us play a test match, then that was a success for us, you know, to have people talking about things like physicality and humility and things like that, um, whether it be in the press or just the general public, then, you know, that sort of stuff was, was a measure of success for us. Steve, looking back at 2015, that, that moment where the decision was made to kick to the corner rather than uh, go for the three points um, turned out to be a great decision in hindsight. How, how significant do you think that moment was, though, for the momentum of the side building into the World Cup? Which game was that? Against the Springboks 2015. Yeah, in Suncorp. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think Tavita scored a try there right yep. at the death. He got a blade of grass look, on that ball. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, look, I think those kind of things are one of those things, mate, where you make a decision with with your teammates and and you go for it. You know, I think if we had gone for a penalty, it would have maybe been a draw or something. So we weren't particularly interested in in that outcome. You know, we had a chance to win it, so we went for it and. Thankfully, it came off, you know, in another instance. Maybe it doesn't, but that's the way it goes. And I guess when you do get a result go your way like that, it does give you belief and and it certainly um, brings a team close together. And That was the start of our sort of journey. And the other thing that it it brings is a winning habit. You know, Mm. you get used to winning close matches at the end and that's a massive thing to take into a World Cup. Generally, in a World Cup, you're going to have a bunch of really close games throughout the, the journey, you know, and I think it'll be no different this time around. And you need to have people in your team that know what to do under that kind of pressure, under that kind of scenario. And I was lucky as a captain to have a number of players in the team who had that kind of experience. And that's that's so valuable. And I think if we look at the team this year, um, you know, Michael Hooper is going to need that kind of support around him uh, from the senior players that have been there before. And I would really, I know we talk a lot about, you know, the young hookers and all those kind of players, but it's got to be the players that have been there before and been been into battle before that stand up and lead the team. And if you get a significant group of players in that category, then you can do really good things. So, you know, I would really like to see that from the team this year, those those players that have been around the block a little bit just to really step up and, and lead that team really well. Yeah, so, so on the on the back of your comments there, how, how important is this weekend to get a victory? Yeah, it is. Any any test is important. It doesn't matter if it's a World Cup or not or a World Cup year or not. It's, it's a test match and you're playing for your country. And having just been in South Africa for two weeks, um, I can tell you that they're – they're certainly very keen to do well in this game. They're keen to do well in the World Cup. They're, they're starting to unite behind the, the team over there. And, and it's a great occasion to be part of as a player. 
a test match at Ellis Park. Haven't had a great record there. What a great time to be playing for Australia when you got that opportunity. So, um, you know, it's a massive, massive thing to, to get a victory. But I think you just want to firstly get out there and play well, play how you trained, how you prepare, and then the result will take care of itself. I think there's no doubt that we have a good enough team to win the test match. Um, we've just got to go out there and, and play well on the day and and, uh, and do the things we say we're going to do. Didn't have a great year last year. Do you expect to see, you know, when, when you switch on, on on Sunday morning, do you expect to see anything markedly different with the way the Wallabies play the game? Will there be a uh, a shift, a really noticeable shift in, in what happens? Oh, look, I'm not sure, Nick. I don't I don't have enough insight into the team to, to know that. Well, I suppose for the coaches particularly, it's a long time between drinks. You know, when you look at when the last test was in November or end of November or whenever it was, it's it's a very long time until they get to pull the jersey on again this weekend. So you'd be very keen to get in there and get stuck in. And I know, you know, people like Nathan Gray, he would have certainly been stewing on, you know, the results of last year all through the summer and all through Super Rugby and he would, he would have been busting to get his hands on the, the group, you know, to get them into a test match. And, and you know, we'll, I guess we'll see on the weekend, you know, how much progress the team's made in a short time and also what it means to, to those players to pull the jersey on because it's, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, that's that's the big thing that's, um, you know, that you want to see is that what does it mean? How, how badly do, do players want it? There are a couple of things that have changed behind the scenes. Obviously, Sean Byrne coming in reasonably late as attack coach. But uh, another guy that you've had a fair bit to do with back in your days at the Brumbies, Dean Benton, back in Australian rugby uh, as S&C. So we're expecting that they'll be uh, fit. There's no doubt about that. But in terms of the little quirky things that he had going on at the Brumbies when you were there, in terms of you know the, uh, your own chef and... Uh, the the sleep yeah. patterns, you know that that facility that you had there. Can you just uh, let us in on on how he does things a little bit differently? Yeah, I think the one thing about Dean is that he he wants to be the best and he doesn't settle for anything below that. And I think he's got a pretty good barometer on on what the best is in terms of athletic performance, and he'll certainly bring that mentality to the team. Uh, I think his role will sort of touch a number of teams across Australian rugby, but Predominantly the Wallabies this year. I think he'll certainly have them well prepared. You know, he'll he'll have them, you know, thinking about excellence in terms of their preparation. And we did a lot of small things that all added up to to good outcomes. Things like you know having a big focus on flexibility and recovery, uh, appropriate nutrition, uh, correct sleep environment. You know, we he got the whole room painted black so people could sleep during the day and it's all those little things I, I suppose that are easy to just brush over but if you have that attention to detail around your preparation and your performance it's amazing you know the upside you can have um, on game day so I think Dean will be an excellent addition to the team you know, I think he's one of the premier operators in his field that, that I've certainly come across or witnessed and I hope that now, he can certainly bring the best out of the players. Indeed, and uh, all these little things we hope add up to uh, to make the, the big differences for the Wallabies uh, in 2019. Stephen, thanks so much for allowing us uh, a bit of your time on what I'm sure is a, a busy day. I know that in retirement you're just as passionate about the Wallabies as you always were. Uh, really appreciate catching up, mate. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. 
Good to catch up with Stephen Moore, the uh, former Wallaby captain who's now clearly enjoying retirement. But, um, yeah, some good insights there into what he's expecting uh, from the Wallabies uh, through the Rugby Championship and into the World Cup. Well, yeah, in particular, I think probably the, the fact that he said that don't expect too many changes, a mass overhaul. And I know that some people will probably would expect that after you go four from 13 the previous year. But clearly, an Australian captain who's played, what, the third most captain Wallaby of all time thinks you've got to just steady the ship a little bit and, and back the experience and the players that were there. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, I mean, we've heard Czechs say the word momentum so much and it was interesting to hear it come out of the Steve Moore's mouth as well, how important it is to just start building towards that World Cup and mm. gaining that momentum. And, and you can tell just through the messaging, just from here, hearing Michael Checker speak, that momentum is going to be a big theme this year. Yeah. Indeed. And, and also the opportunity, and I guess we touched on it there, the opportunity to, uh, to start against a side other than the All Blacks. You feel like in some ways your rugby championship is often uh, just crueled by those first two test matches for, from a couple of points of view. One being that it's so difficult to beat the All Blacks, obviously. But if you talk about momentum, it's also impossible to get any momentum uh, against... The All Blacks. So well, it, it can't be a coincidence that the, the the championships that you have won in recent time, 2011 and 2015, yeah. came off the back of playing the Springboks first and the All Blacks later on. And I think it is a byproduct of World Cup years that we do this, we play the Springboks first, but, gee, it, it's a, it's very helpful to gaining a little bit of momentum, even win, win or lose. Like yeah. At the high belt, it's good for the momentum. But just having said that, yes, win or lose, but... How does it change the picture in terms of pressure on them in the next fortnight? To do well. To do well. Yeah. Knowing what's Because you're staring down the barrel come. of yeah. potentially zero. Well, four. This is probably the best Argentinian side we might have seen. They're going to be up against the All Blacks as well this weekend. Yeah. Bat off the back of a great Super Rugby campaign. But Heaven forbid you get to Samoa. At yeah. Bankwest yeah. Stadium, the last test match before the World Cup and you're 0-4. Yeah. Oh, seriously. Yeah. Oh, look, and... You know, you're absolutely right, Christy. This Argentinian team, they've been together all year, let's face yeah. it. They're a team that they're going... The only, um, I think, beauty of playing Argentina now as a Wallabies team as opposed to playing them at Super is that if they are going to be playing Super Rugby and not Test Match Rugby... yeah. yeah. Going into that test in Brisbane. So, yeah, and, and I guess we'll probably get a, a taste of that when they take on the All Blacks this weekend as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, the other thing that was interesting there is that kind of doesn't really matter whether you fly in on the day to mm. to um, the high felt or, or whether you're there for a couple of weeks. And, and I, I totally agree with him. And I, I, I see that. I mean, I know that there were some things written last week about going in so early and, you know, wasting everyone's cash and all that yeah. sort of stuff. But... I definitely uh, think that the reason they were there is to bond, and yeah. uh, and, and oh, Czech loves that. that was, yeah. And Czech loves that bonding stuff as well. That's where he really gets so well, much value out of his coaching, and that, that that clearly that is his strength as a coach. You know, if you hear uh, a lot of guys who are more well credentialed than we are talk about Michael Checker as a coach, not perhaps not a great technical coach, but in terms of a man manager motivator. There's his talent, and over the last two weeks, this is his stage. Mm. Mm. Well, we're, we're looking forward to see whatever squad does come up on probably Thursday evening, but you'd expect Summer Karevi to come in at, at 12, and that's probably the big shift in how the Wallabies will play in 2019, you'd think.
Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see Samu Karevi play at 12 in the form that he is, has shown this year. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, speaking to him and speaking to guys who have um, played with him this year at mm. the Reds, the, the name Ma Nonu um, pops into the conversation a lot. He is starting to adapt his play to be a lot like Ma Nonu. And how much does that excite so, you as a Wallaby? So what's the biggest difference with Samu Karevi this year? Is it the ability to... Uh, pick your spot in terms of when you give uh, the offload. Like he stopped throwing those sort of attempted miracle off- offloads that we probably saw last year. He's more controlled in that area. Still does it, but he's certainly mm. more controlled. Is that the biggest change in his game, the, the added maturity? Oh, look, Is he I'm, just a year older? Yeah, maybe. And I, look, well, he, no, he defi- he's definitely a year older. <laughs> is he? Is he? Definitely. No, he's okay. a, he is. <laughs> oh, look, I'm not an analyst per se, but... Just watching him play, um, you know, I, I guess he's – the way he um, injects himself into the line, um, you know, he's a bit more direct it looks like yep. from from my perspective and um, he's got that kick, pass and running game mm-hmm. that he's probably had the running game always. You're right, he's always thrown – tried to throw a miracle offload that hasn't gone to hand but he can also use – Use the shoe as well, mm. Um, mm. and and it's something that Marnon who developed through his career and is now a master at, um, and and seeing Karevi in Wallaby Gold be able to do that with guys around him who are test quality footballers, it's pretty mm. exciting. Nice comparison, Marnon. Uh, fullback, oh, I've been saying all year, Kirtley Bill, right? And and I know that earlier in the year, yourself and Sam Worthington were a bit skeptical about that opinion, and and Dane Hallett Petty at fullback, mm. but uh, would likely see Hallett Petty on the right wing, I would think, and 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 Kirtley at fullback. Yeah, I mean, I I think you have to have Kirtley in there somewhere, don't you? If he's, you're playing a big centre pairing, and we're playing the big exactly, we're playing the big centre pairing, um, you know, Kurandrani likely at outside centre as well. The, the, you know, the special K's in the centres. And you got special K at the back too, <coughs> Kirtley. Why not? Oh, is he a bench? Is he a bench player? Is your impact player like the the role that he played so well in twenty fifteen? Yeah, well, that's right. But the thing is, we also had a guy playing for the Wallabies at that uh, point, yeah, that whose guy. name was Falau, yeah, and yeah. he had that X factor that um, you know you Kirtley can probably bring that from the start of the game. I reckon. All right. So what's your what's your gut feel? Do they do they sort of Create a bit of history. What is it, 63, the one and only time that the Wallabies mm. have won at Ellis Park? Can we get a second win? Oh. Did it a few years ago in Bloemfontein. Uh, can it happen? He's kicked it. Remember Kersey <laughs> going, going yeah, he's kicked it. He's kicked it. <laughs> it was Curly who did that. Yes. I, I reckon um, that the Springboks are taking this test match lightly. Right. They're sending their guys to New Zealand uh, early, you know, hostile place to play and all that. But I reckon this is a huge opportunity for the Wallabies to get a little bit of momentum, there's that Mm -hmm. word, Um, because I think if they're sending 10 guys to New Zealand before this test match, I think that's uh, taking the... Well, the, the, a little bit. Mm-hmm. we saw last time he, he kind of Razi Erasmus did this almost in Brisbane last year, uh, yeah. where you had Andre Pollard and Malcolm Marks come off the bench. I think Marks was a late addition on the onto the bench because of uh, an injury there. That that could happen again, but I I think the Wallabies they need a win. I think they. I think they will. They've actually done quite well in recent years in South Africa without winning, being quite close and being in the contest the entire time. 
Um, the South African sides did okay throughout Super Rugby without being spectacular. Um, here's hoping anyway. It would be an absolutely sensational start to what will be uh, an incredible few months coming up and you'll see the entire rugby championship as well as Rugby World Cup uh, every moment right here on uh, on Fox Sports. Um, speaking of international rugby on Fox Sports, the Wallaroos getting it done against Japan in Newcastle. Uh, and Andrew Swain, you called that game. Nice start to uh, a really important few test matches for the Wallaroos. Oh, totally. And that is their first ever win on home soil. And I don't think that can be understated. Like that, that's a massive achievement for them. Um, you know, we know that uh, women's rugby um, is is growing exponentially in this country, and what that win will do to you know the three and a half thousand. There was so many little girls running around up there um, on the sidelines. Um, you know, inspirational, and and it was it was just a great event up in Newcastle. It was cold and windy, but people still turned out, and uh, they came up against a you know a plucky and technically proficient Japanese side, and they got the job done. Thirty-four-five. It was the the final score in the end, and you're right. It was almost 4,000, 3,912 was the official. Um, and Sevens has captured young girls' imagination. You just get the feeling that there's a bit of traction for the 15s game now off the back of Super W and and now these test matches on home soil. It's just grabbing the imagination. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the Wallaroos don't get to spend a lot of time together, let's face it. Mm. Every time they've played the Black Ferns over the last few years, um, they've had to do it with a week's preparation at most, um, I get the feeling that the Wallaroos are close to beating New Zealand at some point in the in the near future, and and being able to spend, you know, almost a month together before they take on the the Black Ferns um, over in Perth in a few weeks' time, it's going to be huge for them, mm. and uh, they could they could you know at least close the gap a bit more. Where do you see the biggest area of improvement for the for the Wallaroos? Oh, look, I think skill level. Yeah. Skill level was huge. Like, that was really um, good on the weekend. For you almost them. saw that improve throughout the game. Like, yeah. in, in the 80 minutes, uh, it built. Well, and I think, you know, even looking back to last year, the Wallaroos played two test matches. They mm. played against the Black Ferns in Sydney where they got, you know, pretty comprehensively beaten in the end. And then they went to Eden Park the next week and they hung tough for 60 mm. minutes of that test match and they were, you know, exponentially better for just a week together. I reckon this week... Um, you know, having spent the week with them last week, and then uh, and then leading up to the match in North Sydney Oval on uh, on Friday night, be huge. One of the stars of the show uh, in Newcastle was Millie Boyle, who uh, was wearing six on her back, and she's got an interesting story to tell. And a little bit earlier, we uh, we spoke to Millie Boyle for the Fox Rugby podcast. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Well, Millie, first up, congratulations. Uh, how did you enjoy that win over Japan? Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it was uh, obviously a, histori- a historic win. Uh, first win on home soil for the Wallaroos, so to be a part of that is just amazing. Yeah, what was it like, Millie? Because it's been a little while on the, the the making this match. Obviously, uh, quite a stint between the Super W final and now, yeah, the first test and, and a second one just coming up quickly too. Yeah, it's um, it's we have obviously the Super W at the start of the year, which is um, an awesome comp, and um, just missing out in the final playing for Queensland and New South Wales taking that, but um. 
train you know we've been training up until now with our state team so to come together finally and all play together yeah it's really special and it means a lot and what about on a personal level because you absolutely killed it and, and in tandem with grace hamilton i mean you guys were unstoppable how did you feel about your performance yeah playing with grace is awesome we're um, quite similar in the way that we play so it's um yeah, it's awesome to play alongside her, especially in the back row. And, um, yeah, I was happy with my performance, but, you know, there's always things to improve on. Yeah, clearly the, the first half, a try after 10 minutes or so, and then you had to work hard for that second one and, it, and they just started flowing quite nicely. Did it take a little while to get into the groove or...? or... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we knew they'd come out hard in the first half, especially in the first 20. Um, we just had to... Uh, Absorb, absorb that pressure at the start and um, not get too not get too frantic and just um, play the game and then we knew that it, um, opportunities would opportunities would open up uh, later on in the game, especially in that second half when the subs came on. Now, Millie, let's uh, talk about your story and your personal journey for just a moment. Um, you yep. are the daughter of uh, Dave Boyle, 117 games for the Raiders in, in rugby league uh, during the 90s and uh, the niece of Jason Croker as well. So you've come from very much a rugby league background and, and indeed, what, three weeks ago you were playing State of Origin uh, for New South Wales against Queensland. So there's this fine balance, I guess, you, you're um, trying to tread at the moment or, or a, a, a path between the two sports. How do you sort of uh, see that and how do you see that going forward? Um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I grew up playing rugby league and um, obviously my family um, played rugby league as well. Uh, um, I, at the moment, I'm just I have the opportunity to play both, and um, I'm really enjoying that. And I think they're both um, both aspects of the game are helping each other. So, um, being a forward, it's quite easy to uh, transition those skills. So, um, I'm just really enjoying it at the moment, and um, I love just being a part of teams, and um, I love the culture around it. So, whether that's league or whether that's rugby, I just yeah really thrive off it and love it. You're kind of living the dream at the moment, playing playing both. Um, how long can you continue to do that? At what point will you have to make a choice, do you think? Um, yes, yes, it is um, a bit of a dream playing both at the moment, which I'm, I'm really enjoying. But um, I think that I think as uh, we progress um, with women's sport and um, over the next few years, um, short years, uh, yeah, it'll definitely definitely be. Um, getting more, getting more uh, popular, and women's sport is just getting bigger. So that I will have to choose. Um, but yeah, just enjoying playing both at the moment. Yeah, does it just come down to you being able to play both at the moment because the the NRL women's NRL competition is so short as well, and like the women's with the Super W, it's at the start of the year. With the the league, it's at the end of the year. So it's kind of been overlapping quite nicely, has it? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, obviously they're at different ends of the year with their tournaments, and they um, there's only about four or five teams in each in each comp. So um, yeah, the competitions go for from one to two months, so um, it doesn't really overlap. And um, yeah, I have been very fortunate um, enough to play both, but um, yeah, who knows in the future? But just enjoying it at the moment. Yeah, nice. And and your brother Morgan playing in RL as well. Um, do they sort of lean on you? And go, come, on, come on, Millie. You know, you know, <laughs> you know what the bloodline says. Come on, make a decision. Or are they they really happy for you to be part of both at the moment. Um, that they they are really happy. Morgan's my brother's um, 
very much a league person, but um, I like to make my own decisions, so <laughs> I, um, don't, I'm not persuaded easily. <laughs> and, and what do you love? Um, what do you love about one over the other, or what? What are the things that you love about the respective sports? The things that might be unique to league that you love, or unique to union that you love? Yeah, I mean, um, I've obviously grown up with rugby league, and I've watched it a lot, and um, it's always on at home and whatnot. So I like just um, the con the concept of that game and um, how it could just be easily easily applied and picked up. Um, however, I like the um, complexity of rugby and the set piece play. Being a forward, obviously, scrums and lineouts are a massive thing, and um, set piece is probably one of the biggest things that I really like in rugby union and everyone has their role, so I really enjoy that. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, Millie, the, the here and the now, you've got another game on Friday night, North Sydney Oval, um, hopefully another big crowd. What, uh, how do you, what do you have to do to, to, to continue the, the winning run leading up to the Blackburns in a, in a, what, a few weeks' time? Yeah, I think um, obviously setting an, um, we've set the platform uh, last week playing Japan. It'll just be building on top of that and um, recognising what we can do better and what went well and, um, yeah, just building on top of that. Um, every team's beatable. So, um, yeah, we'll be looking at uh, some of the New Zealand games. They're over in um, San Diego in a tournament at the moment. So, um, yeah, it'll just be a matter of, seeing what we can do now and taking that into the next tournament. And you've got some, uh, some new stars coming through. I think you've played, what, nine times uh, for the Wallaroos and, and you've got yeah. um, you, you tries the other night uh, on debut for Avril Mitchell yeah. and Ariana Her- Her- Harangi. Did you get around them and, and make a fuss at them? Eva Capone. Oh, absolutely. It was, um, it was so, so awesome for those girls. I mean, just to be debuting and then to score a try on debut is just a dream come true. So we were all so stoked for them and they were just stoked um, stoked for everyone around them and it's just such an awesome vibe at the moment and I'm rooming with Eva so she was also yeah really excited nice. so um, to get over the line she's such a um, great asset to our forward pack and she was I'm unstoppable really wasn't she close yeah. to the line she did. Um, she said to me, "God, there's not much space in this 15th game." <laughs> but um, like, no, it's not really like sevens. But um, towards that second half, she found a little bit of space and threw a nice offload. And um, I think she was happy with that. Did Did Dwayne allow you to um, let your hair down and go out on the Saturday evening in Newcastle? You know what? I actually think he did. I think we had a later curfew, but everyone was just really tired and. We went to bed, so we had a bit of a function afterwards with the Japan team, um, and that was really nice. They don't speak much English, but which, yeah, <laughs> it was good to good to get to meet meet them, and then um, yeah, we were all all out. Yeah, very special, and and obviously that opportunity once again uh, coming up this week. So expecting a big crowd again at North Sydney Oval, and then those two matches against um, the Black Ferns. Thanks very much for joining us today, and we wish you all the the very best, whether it be on the rugby league field or on the on the rugby union field. Good luck in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks for your call. Millie Boyle joining us and uh, staying a little bit coy about her future, whether it be on the. Uh, the rugby league field or rugby union, but uh, she's certainly looking very much at home uh, playing rugby union at the moment. Oh, gee, I hope she stays in rugby union because her performance on the weekend in tandem with Grace Hamilton, the captain, Grace Hamilton had run over 100 metres in one half of footy. Yeah. But Millie Boyle, 
equally effective, I reckon. And and she's just, you know, in terms of playing against teams like Japan and and when they come up against the Black Ferns, she'll be uh, damaging as well. Those those lines that she runs, which they're almost rugby league lines. Let's face it. Um, you know, straighten really straightens the line of attack up, and then can get the offload away. Incredible. And I remember um, standing at talking about size, standing at Eden Park last year, and watching those two teams. And ultimately, that was what uh, did the Wallaroos in. They just couldn't match it, particularly players coming off the bench. They just couldn't match it in, in the, the physicality of the game. That what that is what ground them down in the end. So, you know, the likes of Millie Boyle, if um, if she can start playing well consistently against the best sides in the world, that's going to make a huge difference for the Wallaroos. Oh, dub, the double act of Hamilton and Boyle in that back row is huge. What did Gra- Grace finished with 171 metres? Yeah. Play, player of the match, but 171 metres. Between them, like carries. You'd say a fullback generally not yeah. even run. And yeah, even M Chancellor is a good foil for them because he's a bit probably more nippy and, and, not, and, and mobile. So um, anyway, lots to look forward to this weekend too. Yeah, that's right. North Sydney Oval Friday night. You, you should get down there if you can because the atmosphere in Newcastle was brilliant. We know what the atmosphere can be like at North Sydney Oval. Mm. It's a Friday night, 7pm. You know, if you're finishing up work, just roll up the hill from North Sydney or, uh, you know, from, come from, over. From, from the rag and famish. Yeah, exactly. Come across <laughs> from, you know, you can have a quiet little sharpener at Percy's across the road <laughs> and then wander <laughs> in. It'll be, uh, it'll be a great, great atmosphere and uh, looking forward to it for sure. And then uh, in the early hours of Sunday morning, uh, you can join us on Fox Sports for uh, the Wallabies and the Springboks and uh, getting the rugby championship or their rugby championship campaign underway. Oh, test footy. It's back. It is so How good. How good. Gee, to tell you what, see you later, super rugby season. <laughs> good riddance. Thank God. Thank you. Good, good night. Hey, guys, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, special guest appearance from Andrew Swain today. Really appreciate it. Christy Doran, thank you. Cheers. And uh, thank, you. thank you for your company. Once again on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thank you.